Well, this morning the title of the message is called Carpe Diem. What does that mean? Seize the day. I have a favorite old theologian, and her name is Irma Bombeck. Some of you younger ones probably don't even remember her. She passed away a long time ago, a while back. But she wrote this. She said, seize the moment. Remember all those women on the Titanic who passed up dessert? That's what I love about Irma. There's some interesting statistics on how we spend our time. Uh, I pulled this up this week. Uh, This is fascinating. I'm going to give you some stats here. We spend 25 years of our life sleeping. Some do that very well here on Sunday mornings. Um, We spend 10.3 years of our life at work. Women spend 17.3 years of their lives trying to lose weight. We watch TV for 9.1 years. We spend two years watching commercials. We spend 3.66 years eating. You drive a car for 4.3 years. You spend three months of your life in traffic, unless you live in L.A., and then it's a lot longer than that. Spend one and a half years in the bathroom. Spend 70% of our waking life in front of digital media. Isn't that interesting? You laugh out loud 290,000 times in your life. For some of you, that was another one. You walk 110,000 miles, and you spend 14 days of your life kissing. Some of you guys need to get on that. You drink 12,000 cups of coffee. Can you believe that? Women spend nearly a year deciding what to wear, and women spend eight years shopping, okay? Well, this morning, we got to answer a question, and the question is what it says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. It says, be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Let me continue. Do not, or therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to have the big idea this morning, and that is this. I am here, or you might put, we are here, to make the most of every opportunity that God gives me to have an impact for his kingdom. Do you believe that? We've been talking about why I am here. We're here to have an impact. And there's no doubt that we're living in the days of evil. And so Paul is telling us this morning that we've got to learn how to make the most of every opportunity that we have. There needs to be a sense of urgency. So the question that I would ask this morning is, why is it so important to make the most of every opportunity? And I think the first answer is this. Life is really shorter than we think. Somehow I think we get the idea that we're going to be around forever. But I know the statistics are pretty good about dying. And in Psalm chapter 90, verse 5, it says, 
You, you sweep men away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning, though in the morning it springs up new, and by evening it's dry and withered. In verse 10 it says, The length of our days is 70 years or 80. If we have the strength, yet their span is but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. So in verse 12 he says, Teach us to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. You see, I think what the psalmist is saying to us is that we need to figure out how to be a better budgeter of our time. That's an issue of making the most of opportunities. How would you budget your time in your life? Let me just give you an example here this morning. Let's just say that you spend 56 hours a week sleeping. That means you're getting eight hours a night, seven days a week. Now, that's pretty generous, I think, for most people. Let's say there are 14 hours eating per week. That's pretty generous as well. Some of us like to snarf our food. We don't chew. We just swallow, right? Then there's 10 hours per week getting up maybe and preparing to go to bed, okay? There's maybe 50 hours per week working. Eight hours per week running errands, maybe shopping, etc., doing various miscellaneous tasks. And 16 hours per week watching TV or on the computer or smartphone and then six hours per week at church or in a small group, if that's the average person. That adds up to 154 hours of designated time in your week. How many hours in the week are there? 168 hours per week. What does that mean? That means that out of every week, we have 14 waking hours of non-designated time. Now, many of us might say, I just don't have enough time in the day. But we all have the same amount of time. And it's fascinating. You know, what, uh, when I do premarital counseling with couples, I usually have them obviously put on, on a budget out, right? And say, what, how much are you going to be your expenses? Have you ever just, just kind of done a, a weekly budget of your time? Just to see where your time goes? Because obviously you can't invest it. You can only spend it, Right? So think about where your time goes. And if, if this is true, if these numbers are even close to being accurate, and I think they're fairly generous with all of these, that means there's 14 hours that are almost unaccounted for every week in terms of what we do with our time. And I don't know about you, but if we're supposed to make the most of every opportunity, I want to be productive with my time. And so it's, it might be a real interesting exercise for you sometime is to just take a week out and write down how you've spent your time. And sometimes it can get pretty scary of how much time we actually do waste when it's all on a clock that God has given to us of 70 to 80 years. Now, the other reason why we need to make the most of every opportunity is obvious because he says, because the days we are living in are evil days. Now, it's really important then where it says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, it says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. Now, what's really interesting about this particular passage of Scripture, this salt was often used in those days as a way to preserve foods, if you will. But... These, the salt came from rock fossil, and it was a variety that, that came from the external part of perhaps the Dead Sea or other places. 
And because of that, it was subject to a lot of chemical changes, and so it would lose its flavor. And so they would take this salt and they would maybe put it on the ground and use it for sidewalks, if you will, or whatever. So it was made actually, literally, if the salt lost its savor, you could actually walk on it. But the reason why it loses its savor is because it was so subject to the chemical changes and elements of the exterior, it would lose its savor. Here's my point. If we are called to be the salt of the earth, have we been so overexposed to the chemical changes in our culture that we are now only people that are worth walking on? And it's fascinating to me how Christianity is being walked upon in our culture today, right? And I wonder if it's because we haven't done a good job on an individual basis to make most of our opportunities because we can't change the system, but we can change one life if God gives that to us. So what he's saying here, the days are evil and our lives should have an impact by preserving the decay of our culture so it can taste better. But it seems like we're losing ground here in the U.S., and so I want to challenge us today to realize there's no doubt we don't have to go very far to watch the media to realize the days we're living in are evil days. And so what Paul is trying to say here, listen, we've got to be more like salt and light with people in our lives. We need to be better role models, better examples, examples of love and, 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 and have the seasoning that, that makes life taste better, our culture taste better. The third thing that I, come, that I thought about when we thought about making the most of our opportunities is that time is something we can only spend, not invest. Let me ask you something. If I were to give you $186,000 a day, okay, think about this, $186,000 a day, but you have to spend it all today because at the end of the day, you can't keep the rest of that money. But tomorrow, I'm going to give you another $186,000, We have 186,000 seconds per day to make the most of an opportunity. And it's like every day, every moment, every second is a gift to us. I mean, if, if we're supposed to be here to know God and, and, and to, to really be his masterpiece, you know, made for good works, and, and we're supposed to be able to comprehend his love, and we're supposed to bring it, if you will. We're supposed to be on the team, and we're supposed to find out what position we play. If we're supposed to do all that, then a part of that 186,000 seconds a day needs to be spent doing what God wants us to do. That's why we're here. And so easy for us to get so caught up in the here and now to realize that, that God wants us to have an impact in our world. So that's the first point that I want to make to you this morning is that we need to learn how to make the most of opportunities. So, question number two then. How do we make the most of our opportunities? Well, Paul tells us very clearly. He says, listen, if you want to make the most of your opportunities, understand what the will of the Lord is. Doesn't it make sense? If I'm going to be productive, if I'm going to have an impact for the kingdom of God, then it's really important for me to really be as close to the center of God's will that I can be in my life. Because if I'm doing what God wants me to do, then I'm being faithful and well done, thou good and faithful servant, right? So my life should be spent discovering what the will of the Lord is. 
Wisdom is knowing what the will of the Lord is. So how do we know what the will of the Lord is? Well, I think there's two kinds, if you will, of God's will. Let me give you a little perspective here. One is, I think there's his prescriptive will, where it's very clear in Scripture exactly what God is telling us. We're to flee youthful lust. We're, we're to not have any sexual immorality. There, there are things that are very clear in Scripture that God is very prescriptive about his will and what he expects. But there's also some things in Scripture that are sort of descriptive in his will. These are principles of Scripture that leave maybe some latitude for us to interpret those things and apply to various situations that come our way, okay? Now, the prescriptive will, there's no negotiations. And we need to know what those prescriptive things are in Scripture, and we shouldn't be compromising them or rationalizing them, which is what cultural Christianity has done a lot these days. But secondarily, for many of us, we kind of know what the prescriptive things that God wants, but when there's those decisions that come up in our life, and for instance, what we were talking about a little bit earlier, what Dan was describing with Joshua, that there's times where, is it, is it your will, Lord, that I should stop and talk to this guy? Those are kind of interesting moments in our life. So how do we get there? How do we define God's will when it becomes more descriptive than prescriptive? Let me give you six different ways that you can determine that. Now, these are fairly basic, but I think it's really important that we review these. Number one is we need to ask for wisdom. Scripture tells us in the book of James that if any man lacks wisdom, to ask him and he will give it to us in a double portion. So a lot of times we need, we've got to start there. We've got to say, Lord, I, I really don't know what you want here. I don't know what you want for me in, the, in this decision in my life. So I, I'm asking you for wisdom. I'm asking you for insight. I don't want this to just be my decision. I want it to be our decision based upon your will and your leading. Secondly, we need to find anything that the Bible has to say specifically or descriptively about our situation. We need to go to the Word of God. We need to start there. We need to ask God for wisdom, and then we need to be in the Word of God. And what's really fascinating for a lot of us, if we're not in the Word of God fairly regularly, what we often have a tendency to do when we get into a, a real tight spot and we're wanting to know what God's will is, we just do one of these things. We point to the Bible and we say, hmm, what do you want for me today, Lord? Now, sometimes that, that may work, but... but for the most part, we need to be in the Word of God on a regular basis so that when we are looking for things that might speak to our situation, we kind of know where to go to get it, and we kind of get some feel from the Lord in what He's trying to say from His Word. So that's the second, th second step. Then I think it's important for us to seek wise counsel from godly people. And I say seek wise counsel from godly people, people that you respect, people that are, don't have a dog in the hunt. We, we, we've had a pastor and wife at our house over the last week, uh, and, and, and uh, there's been issues that they are battling with in their home church, and it's great to be a third party that they're coming to get advice from us, and, and we don't have a dog in the hunt, and so it's really important, and I really respect people that are willing to say, you know what, I need some godly counsel here. I, I need some unbiased, objective input into this situation. Here's the fourth thing I would do. Learn to read your circumstances very carefully. Circumstances are wonderful, but they can be also very misleading. I think of Jonah, for instance. Jonah was told to go to Nineveh, and Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. Jonah thought, I don't want to go to those people. I don't like these people. You know, they're ungodly. 
I don't, I don't want to mess with these folks. And guess what? He just happened to find a boat that was going somewhere else. And he could have probably thought, you know, this is pretty good. I mean, I, I can get a ticket on this boat. I can, I can avoid what God wants me to do, and I'll just take off because circumstantially it looks like the boat's going somewhere else. You know, sometimes circumstances can be very misleading. I remember so many people over the years and being in ministry where they come to me and they say, if we can sell our house, we're going to move. I think, okay, if, if that's what God's telling you, then I, I can live with that. But I remember when we moved to Arizona from Wisconsin, our house didn't sell. And if I would have used that circumstance of waiting for our house to sell, I would have never come down and planted a church in Phoenix, Arizona. I would have been still waiting. It took two years for my house to sell. I'd have been sitting up there forever waiting for the circumstances to change before I felt led by God to do that. So circumstances can oftentimes be misleading, but they also can help you verify what God is telling you to do. So be careful. Learn to read the circumstances. Here's a fifth thing that I've done frequently. Fleece it. Sometimes you get to a point in your life where you say, Lord, if this is not what you want, then close this door. If this is what you do want, then please open the door. And God, here's something specific. If this is what you're calling me to do, and this happens and this happens, then I know it's coming from you. There's, it's not so wrong to fleece it. It's not about doubt. It's about seeking what God really wants in your life. And so sometimes uh, you can get a little overboard with the fleece thing, but I think there's times in our lives where we say, Lord, I just don't know. So God, if you close this door, then I know that it's not, not your will. And so we sort of kind of fleece it to kind of give God the opportunity to be more specific in our lives. And again, it's not about doubt. It's about, God, I just want to know what your will is. I just desperately want to know. Here's the last thing. Remember this. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you what? The desires of your heart. So oftentimes we think that God's will has got to be diametrically opposed to our desires. You know, have you ever felt that way? You feel like, eh, God wouldn't want that. that. That sounds like I'm being blessed too much or whatever. But the point is, is that if we're really delighting in the Lord, a lot of times our desires are okay. It's his desire as well. If we're delighting in the Lord. So sometimes we need to be able to make decisions that maybe uh, seem to be uh, kind to us, if you will. And it, it's okay because as long as we're delighting in the Lord, he says he will give you the desires of your heart. So we just need to allow these six things, I think, to kind of percolate in our lives if you're trying to now determine what the will of the Lord is. Now, you can't stop in the middle of a street like Josh did here a while back, in the middle of it, and go through these six things. Now, Lord, there's this guy standing over here. And uh, let's see, number one. Okay, I need wisdom, Lord. Uh, let me we get out the Bible here. By that time, the guy's long gone, right? So there, it's really, really critical that we have a deep sensitivity to what the Spirit of God's trying to say to us. Practicing His presence is such a powerful thing when it comes to knowing what the will of the Lord is. So that's understand number one. Here's the second thing that Paul tells us in this particular passage. We need to understand what the will of the Lord is, and we always need to operate under the influence of the Holy Spirit. So instead of a DUI, it's a D-U-H-S, okay? We always need to be operating under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Well, how do I know if I'm operating under the influence of the Holy Spirit? Well, the first thing is obvious, and that's found in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, right? If we're operating under the influence of the Holy Spirit, then we're going to manifest the fruit of the Holy Spirit. 
And so there, we're going to see in our lives that there's these qualities that God's manifesting like love and joy and peace and patience, gentleness, kindness, meekness, and self-control. These are all manifestations of the Holy Spirit's control in our lives. And if those aren't present, and those are issues in our lives that are out of control, then we need to really understand that maybe we're not operating under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Now, the second thing that's fascinating to me here is he goes on to say in that particular chapter in Ephesians, he says, if you're under the influence of the Holy Spirit, something happens in your life. And he says in verse 19, he says, speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing, make music in your heart to the Lord. Have you ever thought that when you worship, for instance, on Sunday morning and you're singing with Jamie here up here leading worship, that perhaps that when you're under the influence of the Holy Spirit, this is just something that springs out of your life? And so when you sit in an audience where there is very little participation during worship, sometimes you begin to wonder, is the Spirit of God alive and well in their lives? Because if they really have the Spirit of God in their life, they're going to want to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And for some of us, we can't sing a lick, but doggone it, we can make a joyful noise unto the Lord, right? So it's really interesting. You know, one of the ways that I think people are so impressed with the presence of God when they walk into a local church is when they see people legitimately and authentically worshiping God together with a sincere heart, singing and making melody unto the Lord. Then you know the Spirit of God is really present. And I don't know about you, when the Holy Spirit's really, I'm really filled up, I sing. And it sounds terrible sometimes, I got to admit. I was out the other day, I was riding on my horse and I was singing a worship song and actually my horse looked back at me and said, who are you, you know? Yeah, yeah it was so funny. I mean, it wasn't funny at the time. I said, Mo, come on, give me a break. You know, I'm singing this worship song and she looks back at me like, are you kidding? But have you noticed when you really feel the sense of the Holy Spirit in your life, you just can't, you kind of bubble up? And don't you want to sing or shout or, or do something that just manifests the reason that, God, well, Holy Spirit's alive and well in my life. Here's the third way we know, and we can make the most of opportunities, and that is to be ready in season and out of season. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, he says, Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season to correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instructions. He's saying, he said, listen, you need to be prepared for every opportunity that God brings your way, whether it's convenient or not. Because there's a lot of times in life where we're too busy and it's not the most convenient time, but maybe somebody's crying out for a need and it's our opportunity to share Christ or encourage somebody in their life. Well, how do I do that? Well, I think it comes by intentionally praying every day for divine appointments. How many of us really do that? I know that uh, historically that's uh, something that I try to do often in my life. It doesn't happen every day, but a lot of days God reminds me, say, God, if there's an opportunity for a divine appointment today, I don't want to blow it. I want to be intentional about making the most of my time. 
And, and I have prayed so many times, in fact, especially when it comes to evangelistic opportunities to share the gospel. And when I was a police chaplain down in Phoenix and now up here with the Avapai County Sheriffs, whenever I go out with deputies, I always say, Lord, if there's a divine opportunity, if there's a moment, I want to be ready. I don't want to blow it. I don't want to, I don't want to mess it up. I remember one specific time where there was a, a deputy that, that uh, just even a year ago, about a year ago, this time of year, he got into an altercation with a, with a guy who was running from uh, the sheriff. He was a, a armed robbery suspect, et cetera, et cetera, and he got into a fight with him. And, and fi- about four hours before he got into that fight, I was riding with him. And I said to him, I said, you know why I'm a chaplain? And he said, no, why? And I said, because I feel like you guys put your life on the line every day. And when you put your life on the line every day, it's really important to me to know that if you were to lose your life in the line of duty, that you would go to heaven. And he kind of looked at me and kind of laughed. He said, yeah, but I'm not, I'm not a religious guy. Four hours later, he gets in this altercation and almost gets himself killed. And I went to them the next day in the hospital and I said, hey, do you see any irony in what I said to you about four hours before you got into that altercation? Well, God's still working on this guy. But I, but I prayed before I went out with him that, God, would you give me just an opportunity, a place of redeemed appointment? And, and it never really came up, so I just thought, well, I'll bring it up. And I know that for me now, God is saying more to me, more than ever before, and I don't know if he's saying that to you, but I think we need to have a greater holy boldness about sharing our faith. I feel like we're so apologetic and we kind of stand off. Well, they don't really want to hear, they don't want to listen, but I've found that people really do want to talk about spiritual things. And so I'm wondering if, if we're really ready in season and out of season. And what that also means is that not only do you need to be intentionally praying, I need to have a good handle on how to share the gospel. That's why we're doing Red Zone. If you don't have a method or a way that God has used, try this. Show up at the, at the Red Zone and, and find out what God might be wanting to do with you and how you can find a comfortable way to share your faith. So let me just conclude by asking questions like I always do, right? When is the last time you did a time analysis? And where do you think your biggest time waster is in your life? I know I get convicted about the TV. I love to watch sports and I love home and garden television. That's kind of my little addiction. And I wonder if, could I be doing something a little more productive? When is the last time you, you sat down and really analyzed, how am I spending my time? You know, we, we are so busy in our culture. I think that's Satan's biggest ploy in our culture to keep us so busy that we don't have time to be. So we're so always so busy doing. Have you ever stopped to really think how you're spending your time, how you're investing your time? What is your biggest time waster? What are you going to do about it? Be a great discussion in your small group. Here's the second one. How many missed opportunities have you had to share the gospel with somebody? Those are moments where you look back in your life where you would have, should have, could have. You know what I'm saying? I can think way back in years ago when I lived in Iowa, there was a man who has had cancer and he was a, a farmer in town and I kind of had a burden for him. And I'd rub shoulders with him numerous times, and I thought, you know what? I really need to share Christ with this guy. And he died on me before I had the opportunity. And it's always stuck with me like, boy, 
I maybe had an opportunity and I blew it. I didn't share. How many missed opportunities have some of us had to share the gospel with somebody? Because we chickened out or it wasn't quite as convenient or we didn't know if they would be responsive. You know what? I have shared the gospel so many times that people, I have not had one person reject me. They respect what you have to say, especially if you invested some time and energy in their life. Here's the third question. What are you seeking the Lord's will about in your life right now? What, what, what are you asking God? What do you want to know from God? And have you really attempted to, number one, ask God clearly with an open mind of what he wants for your life? Have you gone to the word of God? Have you walked through some of those steps that we described so that God would really show you exactly what he wants you to do? Because you're here, again, to make the most of an opportunity, and part of that is knowing what the will of God is. And finally, do you really feel adequate in sharing the gospel with someone? And if you don't, then take some steps to get it figured out. If that's the red zone, if that's some other method, the bridge, some other method that worked for you or in the past or something that that you feel comfortable with, figure it out. Find out what it is. If it's just simply sharing your testimony and that's where you want to go with it, go for it. But let's stop making excuses for not sharing our faith. Amen? Come on, we've got to be salt and light. And I'm feeling like in my own life that I need to be more, uh, I would say, a holy boldness. You know, we're not cramming scripture or Bible down somebody's throat. That, that's long since been a history, right? But I think for now, I think what has happened is we've kind of hunkered down in our, in our safe little havens called church and we've forgotten really how to be salt and light out there in the community and in the workplace. So I challenge us, as Paul challenged us this morning, be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but wise. That's what we're talking about this morning. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this reminder that Paul has given us this morning. God, we're here to make the most of an opportunity. And sometimes we forget that. And that opportunity is to make an impact for your kingdom And it's not reserved just for us in vocational ministry. Everybody sitting here can have an opportunity to make an impact for the kingdom. So God, keep us alert. Help us to be more sensitive to your still small voice of the Holy Spirit. I pray for those of us who have been a little timid at times and and have failed to share the gospel with people when in reality, God, we're missing opportunities every day. Lord, we can't change culture in one day, but we can certainly pray for that one person to touch. And so God, I challenge us all that this week, it would be a day each day that we would wake up in the morning and say, God, what is it you want me to do? And God, if there's a divine appointment, don't let me blow it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.